Welcome to episode 29, a great goalie number in the world of hockey. This is In Goal Radio, the podcast. I'm Darren Millard, a presentation of thehockeyshop.com, the hockey shop source for sports Surrey. Today, we go to the hall, the hall of Glens, well, or the living room. I'm not exactly sure where in the house or on the farm, but we visit with Hall of Famer Glenn Hall, Mr. Goalie, if you can follow all that, because I'm very excited to chat with David Hutchison, who got to spend an afternoon with one of the greatest goaltenders of all time. It's a very special episode of In Goal Radio, the podcast. Uh, David Hutchison joins us from sunny Kelowna, where he's been hanging out with the Net360 gang, spelling off our own Kevin Woodley, who's on assignment in Tofino, riding the waves and catching uh, a little bit of R&R. I think it's called working on your balance. That's what he's calling it. But uh, but a little time on the uh, on the waves of Tofino wasn't bad, eh, Hutch? It is not at all. He's uh, developing some important skills that I'm not sure we've seen on the ice. But uh, we'll be asking the boys afterwards if the surfing has helped Kevin. Important family time away. Saw some great photos of uh, his entire family up on the board today. I uh, can't say um, that I don't wish I was there with him today. It would be spectacular. It's the only place I've ever surfed. Done it a few times uh, out in Tofino. Uh, the the drive out is spectacular. The surfing is amazing, and then the drive back is exhausting because you just you're drained. Uh, if you've never been to Tofino, yeah, uh, check it out. Uh, right now, let's uh, set up this episode. The gear segment will deal with buckets, uh, the CCM model this time, and we'll go through that entire lineup. But uh, Woody will make a guest appearance uh, via satellite with that, and we'll, our feature interview uh, deals with uh, Glenn Hall and. If you can, just give us an idea, Hutch, how this came about and paints us a picture of, of what that setting was like with, with Glenn. Sure. I, I was in Edmonton for a little over two weeks with Eli Wilson, who we do a bit of work with, and uh, working at a couple of his camps there. And it turns out that two of Glenn Hall's grandsons are goaltenders and have trained with Eli for many years. And uh, one of them actually working as a demonstration goalie at the last camp we were at. And so I asked Eli if he might be able to set up this opportunity for us. And so uh, myself and Maddie and Eli drove about 10 minutes from the camp's location in Spruce Grove out to uh, the Hall Farm. And it's, uh, you know, down a nondescript country road, you, you just sort of see this entry into the, the farm and drive up the winding driveway, and the first thing you see as you drive onto the property uh, would be a few of those famous red barns that Hall claimed to be painting, and explanation for why he was never able to make it to training camp. And in fact, wasn't part of the interview uh, because the story had been told so many times. But afterwards, he he pointed out to me a little shed on the property. It doesn't even qualify as a barn, and he said, "See, that's the one I was really painting when I couldn't go to training camp." I never told them it was a big barn, uh, and and that's sort of the guy that he was. He's got a great sense of humor. We we went into his house, um, sat around in the living room, uh, the group of us just chatting goaltending, and didn't really get into the interview too formally. It was it was pretty obvious that uh, Glenn was uh, interestingly a little nervous about getting on and chatting goaltending, um, despite the many thousands of interviews he must have done. But we were sitting around the, the fireplace. Uh, it's possible that there were a few of Glenn's favorite beverages that we dropped off. And thanks for doing the interview with us uh, that we were all enjoying together. Uh, in fact, uh, tell you another little story. Soon as I went in, I, I put down this uh, 
case of beer that we brought in thanks and we had some chit chat and then eventually Glenn just sort of looked at the case and he said so guys um we all gonna just sit around and look at that now and uh of course hoping that somebody would take the plunge and and uh so it was really just a relaxing chit chat and I wish that I'd had the opportunity to just leave the microphone on him uh for the entire day because he's a genuine person a really funny person self-deprecating and most of the good stories came out uh, just spontaneously, not really during the interview itself. We, we got the opportunity to go down in his basement with him and look around at a little bit of the memorabilia. Turns out that he's uh, given most of his memorabilia to his children already. Uh, I guess he wanted to be able to enjoy seeing them enjoy it. But, but he did keep a few pieces in the basement, some sticks, uh, some old shoulder pads that uh, Maddie got to try on, uh, an old glove. And uh, in fact, a couple of pay stubs from his days with the uh, Chicago Blackhawks as well. So fun, fun just to feel like you were genuinely part of the family for three or four hours and, and then engage in a, some great goaltending chat. What was your uh, biggest surprise? Uh, not necessarily information wise, but, uh, but what you took from it. But I'll, I'll tell you this from listening to it. Mm-hmm. He's funny. He's a very funny guy. And that was just a tiny, tiny piece of, of what you got. Um, so I, I don't know that I knew what to expect. I, I, I think I, I mentioned it a couple of times in the interview that it, in many ways it felt like he was ahead of his time. And uh, I was so excited to meet the guy that developed the butterfly. Um, but the other things about visualization, about how he prepared for games, about how he thought about who the opposition was, uh, it really did feel like it was a little bit, a little bit ahead of its time, and uh, and such a privilege to be able to hear it all from him. He also, I would say, was uh, quick to remark um, when he first saw Maddie. He said, "You know, you don't, you don't want to get too tall. Too tall. Don't want too tall goalies. Those guys who are too big. As soon as they move across the crease, they open up big holes." And you know, there's again a, a theme that seems to be recurring a little bit now as well. So. Uh, a very funny guy, very genuine guy, um, but obviously an incredibly knowledgeable person as uh, one of the greatest to ever play. And we didn't get into all those accolades uh, really in the interview, but uh, in doing some research for it, I mean, the awards sort of speak for themselves, but, uh, you know, he had teammates and, and guys that he played against who who said, uh, this this guy was the greatest goaltender in the game for 18 years, and you don't need 18 Vesna trophies to show that. In fact, uh, Hall himself, when, when somebody in another interview, it might have been McKenna's interview, I'm not sure, uh, talked about the Vesna, and he said, oh, no, no, I didn't win the Vesna." He's like, well, what are you talking about? I won the Jennings. Well, they call it the Jennings now, but that was just given to the goalie who had the best goals against average, probably the guy who played on the best team. And then later on uh, in, in his kitchen, I said, you know, everybody speaks about the 502, but but you've got another record that might never be beaten and that's the 924 save percentage in NHL All-Star games which to me is remarkable given that we know what All-Star games are like although admittedly it was different in his day but he he shut me down right away he said no 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 save percentage doesn't mean a thing i've i've sat in the press box while guys are putting down the shots and they're not even close so i won't even look at a record that involves save percentage so self-deprecating uh realistic guy as well um just a fascinating person to spend some time with. And now you can always say that you were in Glenn Hall's kitchen, <laughs> which was very tough to do when he played. Yes. Uh, you want to set it up? 
Uh, I mean, really, I, I think we have set it up there. The fact is, uh, it was just all of us sitting around uh, in his living room having a chit chat about goaltending, and uh, we did have a little bit of a, a problem with the technology right at the beginning. So, so we do hop into the conversation sort of on the fly here, uh, talking about equipment because we had talked about his um, how he got into the game. I guess I should set that up. Uh, we, we tend to ask a lot of the NHL guys, how'd you get your start? What, what fascinated you about the position? So I thought it would be fun to ask the same question of, of a guy who played so long ago. Uh, and in fact, he said that he um, played as a forward on his team back in Humboldt, Saskatchewan, and uh, was the captain of the team. And guys were sort of taking turns being goaltender and nobody really wanted to be the goalie. So he just sort of stepped up and said, okay, I'll do it. Um, what, what leadership and, and obviously look where it led to. Uh, and started playing around 12 years of age. And then, then I asked him whether it was the equipment that uh, fascinated him uh, that got him into the game, whether that was a realistic thing back in, in the day uh, compared to now. And, of course, you'll, you'll hear what he thinks about uh, the equipment from, from back then. So there you go. Uh, also, a big part of this is uh, the summer and, uh, and packing on the pounds. But uh, little did we know that uh, just, just packing things and taking care of your essentials and your valuables would be a big part of this. Don't want to pop the bubble on that uh, situation and that innuendo just yet, but uh, let's throw to the interview. Glenn Hall in conversation with David Hutchison on In Goal Radio, the podcast presented by thehockeyshop.com, Source for Sports Surrey. Did you enjoy the position for the gear in the same way that goaltenders do today, or was it just there? Well, you certainly wouldn't enjoy the equipment we used. Uh, nobody could enjoy that. And uh, uh, like, and I think I mentioned that uh, the uh, the salesman for these for the equipment they knew nothing about good equipment yet or bad equipment or where you needed protection. And I keep talking about the, like, uh, I keep saying, well, a monkey stands like this. He stands like that, where yep. a goalkeeper stands like that. And right. that's the only difference between a goalkeeper <laughs> and a monkey. But we used to put the the uh, uh, cotton batten on on uh, our arms here, right. eh? but it it get all welded down and everything else. And but when they come up with these wrapping bubbles, that was perfect because bubble you wrap? put the bubble wrap. It was perfect, and <sighs> you could use that in there, and and it gave the defenseman something to do in between periods. Pick up your bubble wrap. Oh no! Just oh. pressing the bubbles. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Just uh, making so, a motion so here. It's, it's a, bursting. That's it's incredible. Uh, worked out. Uh, did you, did you in talking with? I assume it was Pop Skineski, who was the leading equipment company at the time for pads. Anyway, did you ever suggest some modifications to help with the butterfly? Because the pads have changed so much for that reason now. And uh, no, no. Uh, he made certainly by far the best equipment it was, and uh, I had enough trouble that he wouldn't make them too long. Eh? Yeah, because he 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 wanted to make them. He would measure your height and 
and then he'd make them. That, and I didn't want to want them as long as he wanted them. But you bring it up. I think that's one of the most amazing things. You're you're known as the guy who invented the butterfly and brought it into the NHL. Where where did that come from? Common sense. Yeah. Like we were, <laughs> we were told how to play by, uh, it was generally the general manager who had never played gold. And he told us how we should play gold. We should stand up like this with our legs together. And you can't move to the post with your legs are together. So you got to have a little bit of, and that's what opens up the five hole. And uh, it's always been there. And uh, some of the great, great players, they were able to uh, make a living just uh, you know, using the five hole to, to, uh, to score on you. Did that come because you'd observed it anywhere else? Or were you just sort of thinking to yourself, I'm going to try something different here today? Uh, no, it, uh, I think it happened by accident where I got into it is that we used to, uh, do, uh, we'd, we'd, uh, stretch to, uh, to stop the puck and we'd stop it with the skate. And I think it was a groin injury that, uh, made it difficult to, uh, to do the splits and, uh, to, uh, and, uh, so I think, uh, uh, necessity, uh, like they say, is a mother of invention. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, I think just because of, uh, of conditions and everything else, I, uh, I learned to, uh, to swing the pads. Any idea where the name butterfly came from? Was that around when you were doing it? Uh, no, I think, uh, oh, it was a writer from, uh, from New York. I, and I can't think of his name. Uh, and uh, uh, he called it the butterfly. Uh, like we see our arms kind of uh, up and the, the pad swung out. And I suppose that it looked a little bit at that time like a butterfly. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing because I, I read an article by, uh, by Ken Dryden. And he talked about how the mask was the biggest change to the game because it allowed people to play down closer to the ice with some safety. Um, but really you, you made that innovation long before it was a safe move to make. Yeah. It, uh, I've been hit hard three times and, uh, I've had a bunch of nicks, but, uh, when we played, uh, it was puck related injuries that were, were the worst. We had so many of the goalkeepers, uh, uh, have problems, have, uh, eye injuries and, uh, kept them from continuing playing and uh, I was lucky that way but I certainly got hit uh, all I wanted to be hit. yeah wow and uh and no anesthetic when they were stitching you up uh no no, no they didn't think about that and uh well the, the we were lucky when uh, it wasn't a game if you got cut we had a trainer who would He'd stitch better than the doctors, and uh, because he'd More pinch, he'd pinch you a little bit. Well, I guess he <laughs> did. He, he was stitching up quite a bit, and but they'd pinch you. He'd pinch you, where the doctors would just lift you up off the table. And, <laughs> yeah. So. 
Wow. So, so what do you think when you watch a goaltender today play? I mean, you've got two grandsons who play goal and they're in this incredible safe equipment. What, what's well, going through your head? It, it bothers me when they lay on the ice and whine. Not your grandchildren, just the other goalies. Well, I'll tell you, my grandchildren have been taught that you don't do that. If you lay on the ice, you better be hurt because uh, don't you lay there and whine. And uh, we used to, the trainer here in the Tiger Gold Stick that we had in, uh, when I played here with Edmonton in the Western League, and uh, all of us uh, thought he was the greatest trainer ever because if you were hurt and laying on the ice, and you saw him come out with his scissors, you got up. <laughs> you certainly got up in a hurry. You didn't want him to touch you. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, yeah, uh, it was good times, good memories and everything. And, yeah. But and so here we are talking about injuries and uh, everybody brings it up, but we have to probably the one record that will never be broken in the NHL the 502 consecutive games played without missing one. And, and I believe you take that back to, to junior hockey to well over a thousand games. Yeah, I call, uh, when I played junior and then I played, uh, I played four years in the minors. I played one year in the American League and then I come out to the Western League and I played three more years here. Uh, and uh, like I, I was lucky, I, I never, I never missed a game in uh, in all that time, and uh, uh, yeah, it was. Uh, Can't be just luck, though. Well, it's nice to be healthy enough that you could at least play. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Wait, and then you told us earlier when we arrived here that the first day of training camp, you were in the best shape you would be all season. Yeah. Did you take pride in that in the off season? Was it just being an honest, no, hardworking I, farmer? I, yeah, I kept, well, I kept in shape, and uh, so many of the players had trouble with their weight, and uh, I wouldn't say I was lucky because I had trouble putting on weight, and uh, I think when I first played uh, uh, pro or something, I was one hundred and forty. 150 pounds and uh, so that's all and so I worked at uh, trying to gain a few pounds and you're living on this beautiful farm now and which you got in the late 60s were you were you from a farming family in Saskatchewan as well uh yeah uh, my grandparents had a farm and my uncle I used to go out there regularly and uh, and Pauline uh, my wife she uh, she come from the farm and so we always knew what we wanted to do, and we squirreled away nickels and dimes and, in order to, to buy a farm. And so was, was this time of year when, when you were playing, were, were you doing something intentionally to get in good shape, or was it just the work you were doing around the, the farm? I think it was intentionally. I used to uh, do a little running. I remember some of the other people from around uh, well, I guess we were living in Edmonton at, at the time, but uh, uh, I used to go out with them and uh, 
and they'd do a little running and stuff. And so I'd, uh, uh, I always found it easy to run. And so, uh, I guess that was as a conditioner too. Yeah. That, that to me, that sounds unusual. We keep hearing stories of guys showing up for training camp so they could get into shape. And were, were, were you, were you different from the other guys in that respect? Then? Uh, some of the guys had, uh, had trouble with their weight all the time. And, uh, uh, but most of us come in in real good shape. Uh, I remember my first year in Chicago. Uh, uh, Nick, uh, oh, and I am so bad with even teammates. I forget names so rapidly. And but uh, when we had the weigh in. Uh, I was sitting next to where they were doing the coach was in there weighing the players in the first day. And, but he picked up the hammer and the, the saw and everything else. And he had tucked behind his back. And so the coach couldn't see it and, because he wanted to come in a little heavy. He was smarter than the rest of us. And about three days later, he says, one guy, one guy lost a lousy three pounds. And <laughs> he lost that when they put the hammer down. <laughs> yes. So, uh, yeah, it was different. And you were talking earlier about uh, some of the other goaltenders that, were, that you admired were friends of yours. Well, we've become friends. Uh, like... Uh, uh, I'd say two of my favorites were Gump Worsley and Johnny Bauer. And uh, they were really, really good goalkeepers. Uh, I'll tell you, when you, when I played goal, I always felt I have to play better than the guy at the other end. Eh? And they made it difficult in order to, to do that. Eh? They made it very difficult to do it. So you raised each other's games that way? I think we did, yeah, yeah. Did, and then at a time when there was no goalie coaching, were you, were you learning through observation? I think so, yeah. I was lucky. I, I played, uh, I think the goalkeeper who put certainly the four best years ever was Sawchuck, his first four years in Detroit. And I was lucky. I was playing in Windsor, and, uh, and I come up in the so playoffs. Windsor Spitfires and, and Junior, right? Yeah. yeah. And then... Uh, in Indianapolis, I come up in the playoffs, and then uh, so I come up and I saw in the playoffs, I saw him play, and uh, uh, I don't know if I learned anything from him, but just the concentration it was. I always played in a low crouch, and Sawchuck played in quite a low crouch too. I. Uh, I don't know. I remember in junior being told that you couldn't play in that. And I said, well, I said, Sawchuck is playing it and he's the best goalkeeper in the league right now. And he was. And uh, so, but I always played in a deep coach. How did you become friends with these guys when it was one goaltender per team? When did you get opportunities to interact with them? Well, I don't think that it didn't take much time for two goalkeepers to get to like each other. And uh, so... Uh, we call it the goalie union now. Well, yeah, I uh, I guess it is. And it was, uh, it was a time when uh, 
if you'd meet at the station, you would always get together and just say hello and talk a little bit. And uh, but uh, no, we didn't. It doesn't take a lot of time to be make friends. Who are some of the great characters in the game that you played with? Bob Plager, one of the one of the real funny guys, and uh, Ed uh, Ed Litzenberger was a kind of a character too, and they were more characters with the stories they had, because uh, they always believed if you got a good story, you could improve on it, and they <laughs> they they really worked at uh, improving a good story, and yeah, and. Uh, and they would do a good job. We're, uh, we might be sitting here enjoying a beverage, and I don't want you to feel like your throat is getting dry just because of this conversation. Oh, you should have been a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> I, it, in many ways, it seemed to me like you were so far ahead of, of your time. And I don't just mean the butterfly. Technically, that was interesting. Um, but I heard you say that uh, pressure is the greatest asset in the world. Yeah, it is. It uh, it pushes you to another notch, eh? and I and I used to put pressure on myself to beat hell. I'd uh, even to the point of uh, I don't know if I actually threw up. I gagged more than I did. I'd but I'd go to the bathroom and I'd uh, I'd gag. Everybody feels that uh, that the uh, waste baskets and that I had one in front of me because I was the only guy that would throw it in the basket. The other guys would just throw it in the floor. But I, <laughs> so you weren't I, alone? Yeah, but I, uh, I'd throw it in the basket. And uh, so. Uh, is, there, is there an amount of pressure that makes you better? Is there, a, is there a point where it just becomes too much and it takes the I never reached the point. Uh, I always felt I bet I played better. The more pressure I put on me, the fact I, uh, uh, because it's easy to say that, uh, yeah, it's, uh, this is too hard on me. And, uh, and I think it was hard on me. I think that that's why I basically, when I retired, I was still offered a contract when I retired. And even though I was old at that time, uh, uh because I was over 40, I think, and, and at that time, they felt that you were heading downhill. Uh, I don't think I was, but I uh, was ready to quit. Uh, I had had enough. Uh, my wife and my father-in-law, they they didn't want to quit. They absolutely enjoyed the hockey. Oh, life yeah. And, yeah. But, uh, no, I had had, I had, had enough. And uh, I felt you could make as much money uh, in those days, well, I always said I'd rather be underpaid than overpaid. And Tommy Ivan and the Blackhawks, they made it easy for me to achieve that. <laughs> Happy and, to oblige. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> it's so, so uh, that was interesting. But I, I do believe that why, uh, Chicago right now, they couldn't be better to us old guys. They really go out of their way to be good. And, and, uh, I think they realized that we weren't treated very well in those days. Do you, do you feel you identify more with any of the three franchises you played with? 
I think I've gone to uh, back to Chicago. I I always said I I would like to. I wanted to play for the team that wanted me. Now Detroit or uh, St. Louis was the the last team I played. But all of a sudden, well, they had this lady there that uh, she didn't want anything to do with the old guys and uh, keep the old guys away from here. And uh, mm. and so I kind of went back to Chicago. I thought, well, if they don't want us here, it's just because we've retired. Well, uh, and I'll uh, I'll put my loyalty back with Chicago, and oh, uh, and I've done that. Well, they don't know what they're missing then. St. Well, Louis, was it still fun to see them win this year, though? Oh, it was absolutely great, and uh, it was perfect. Uh, I've, I've still got good friends that played there and uh, played teammates that played uh, when we were there, and we keep in touch now and again, and uh, and it's always nice, and conditions were great in St. Louis. They were so much better than any place else in the league, and. Uh, they treated us like, uh, well, like people, eh? and uh, yeah. and we weren't just uh, an animal and a name, and mm. so yeah, we had we had absolutely great, uh, great. Well, we had Scotty as a coach, and Scotty was way before his time, and he was unbelievably great, and. Lynn Patrick is general manager. Lynn was just great to all of us players, and so that was different. And the owners, the Solomons, they were absolutely wonderful. They uh, invited us into their home for parties and everything, so it was, and how we were treated was unbelievable. And and I read that uh, Scotty sort of let you do your own thing with respect to practice. You started not maybe practicing quite as much as you had in the past. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, it's, it's, Scotty knew more about me than I knew about myself. He he knew when to, but he knew that about all the players. He knew which player that had to be given a little kick in order to get him going. And he knew which ones needed an arm and the shoulder. And he treated all of us that. He kicked the ones that needed kicking, and he had an arm on the shoulder, the the ones that needed needed that. I think the, the idea of practicing a bit less is coming back to the game now, and we're seeing more and more teams practice a little bit less on game days, some of the starting goaltenders taking less time. So another way that I think maybe you were a little bit ahead of your time there. Well, I, I just uh, wasn't learning it, and it was no use going in the morning. And becoming shy of the puck uh, because you had to look at it in the evening. Uh, even even the warm-ups before the game, I didn't take many shots. If I took a dozen or 12 or 15 shots, that would be maximum. And uh, yeah. uh, simply because uh, I would become shy. So, so you're known for that 502-game streak. As a, as a lone goaltender, but then you ended up in St. Louis with what I think is arguably the best tandem in NHL history with you and Jacques Plante. What was uh, what was he like as a character? What were you like as a team? Oh uh, well, he uh, he never told me how to play, and I never told him how to play. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, 
yeah, he uh, he was a good goalkeeper, a real good goalkeeper, <laughs> and uh, uh, he had his own system, which was different. He used to play off a post basically, and uh, and then move to where I would play in the middle, uh, like. The Montreal system was they didn't want you to give up a, a short-sighted goal. And I said, well, uh, if you stop them all there, nobody's going to shoot there anymore. So if one goes in there, you want them to come back. It's very <laughs> easy to stop. So, uh, yeah. It's, I love uh, it. Yeah, no, it, uh, so for it all was those- different. And, uh, but so many different things that uh, about playing goal, you know, like uh, I suppose that I I watch the uh, tennis players. And I remember asking somebody uh, why the, the the guy taking the serve uh, and he's moving like this and said, well, you move the opposite direction before you move the way that you want to move. Eh? So, like, if I'm moving, if I'm moving that way, I'll start by moving the opposite direction, and okay. and it's true. And I found out that uh, moving from from the post to the high circle to uh, the high crease above the crease that you moved and you stopped. Uh, and you have to stop on the outside blade, and uh, but then you do a little dance there. Well, that little dance gave you going in both directions, so that you could come back to either post, and right. so it become. Uh, uh, I I, I like that uh, that moving. Prior to that, we had been told that you move parallel to the crease and. Uh, but I had players who were uh, were going right to the boards, carrying the puck, and uh, you couldn't go that far. So I realized you, instead of going parallel to the crease, that you had to come back to post. Right. And so I started to go from post to high high point, then back to either post. I could come back to either post, and liked I liked that. I could move real easy that way. And when you were on the post, I understand you had your skate on the outside of the I post. I did, yeah. Another thing that is starting to come back a little bit now. Oh, is it really? Yeah, maybe not the same situations. But yeah, we well, but it's a wraparound uh, that, uh, and on the outside, like, uh, uh, even they didn't really have the wraparound when I was playing, but they were coming in, they were trying to get short side, like they would just jam it. Yeah. And I found was it on the outside of the post that they couldn't move me. Just anchor it in there. Yeah, yeah. But I'm surprised that there's some players uh, thinking about using that. uh, So you started the Butterfly. Your partner in St. Louis, Plant, was well-known for coming out of the net to play the puck. But I read a story that you actually had more points than one of your defensemen one year. Alan McNeil, <laughs> yeah, and Al, that's a that's a lovely story. Al was such a great defensive player, and he was uh, so good. But I, I don't know if I should even tell it. But uh, well, it's out uh, there, so we might as well do it. Anyway. Well, yeah, it's. Uh, I had two points early in the season. 
and they always had the uh, scoring uh, of the team on it. And they had Hull and Makita with uh, big points and all the way down. And then they had Hall with two points and McNeil zero. And uh, at the Christmas party, uh, I remember I said, Al, I don't think you're able to catch me. That, that <laughs> used to be at the halfway mark. It's Christmas. And uh, so uh, he said, oh, yeah. I said, uh, I will. A good second half. He says, that's barring injury, of course, he says. And, <laughs> and uh, so... Uh, uh, it ended up, and uh, I think it was in February, he had a big, big night, and he got a point, eh, and he got an assist, and so uh, <laughs> so uh, they had it in the paper again all the way down, Hall 2, McNeil 1, <laughs> but the season ended up, uh, and uh, I beat him in the scoring, and uh, but after when he was explaining to people, he says, well, he, meaning me, he said he played all the power plays, <laughs> which Al wasn't going to get on a power play. Yeah, yeah. So, First unit yeah. power play, well done. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, but uh, they're great memories and great, uh, uh, great teammates and friends that we made during those times. And. So many of them go in the way of the wind, and uh, you're losing them regularly, and your name moves up every time one other. So, but I'm I'm ready. I I always said uh, that I'd like to play one more game. I'd really like to play one more game. But then I sit down with the six pack until that feeling goes away. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, so, I th isn't Chicago doing something now where they bring gold legends out for a skate one last shift or something? Yeah, Should we get I a don't, plug in now to get you in for one more shift? <laughs> I, uh, they did uh, something there doing some deal on TV. and what, What's it like for you to watch your grandchildren play goal? Enjoyable. Really enjoyable. Uh, I'm not. It has to be terrible for a mother to watch her her kids play goal because uh, my mother would agree. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, it uh, <laughs> it uh, it had to be terrible because uh, if you let one in, all the rest of the mothers look over at you or at her and uh, would not. Be nice to for mothers to go to hockey games. My mother used to go to the games. Uh, I knew she hated it, and uh, I told her, "Well, don't don't come to the games." And and like I say, I'd been hit a few times, and that worried her. And yeah, it's a it's a position for the goalkeepers and maybe their dads, and but not a position for the mothers <laughs> I, I find it a little stressful a little stressful to watch even as a dad yeah yeah well you, uh, i bet you feel a little bit stressful when your grandchildren are out there well you're hoping they do well but uh uh i've seen them play and even when they let in a goal, I say, well, that was the right move. They made the right move. They, 
So I think that's important. You make the right moves and you're going to stop the puck the majority of the times. Yeah, it's the wrong move that'll kill you. And yeah, and if you continue to make it, it it'll snowball. And it's a mental game, isn't it? You you said that to Maddie when we first came in here. Yeah, it is. It's uh, the mind is the most important part. Uh, knowing which player is capable of scoring uh, is more likely to be able to score. Uh, uh, did that just prepare you, or did you did you actually tactically do something different in a game depending on who had the puck? Oh, certainly you would, you would, and uh, even if the the guy that was, you knew exactly where he was at all times. You knew exactly where he was, and if he would enter into a no offensive position, or who were some of those guys for you? Well, uh, the the Montreal team they they were head and shoulders above all of us. Uh, uh, they uh, had the best teams, and so, yeah. If you didn't know where the rocket was, well, then you were in trouble. In the pocket, uh, Henri. Uh, I don't think a lot of people know what a great, great, great player he was. He was absolutely great player, and uh, but he had the wrong name. He had Richard on his <laughs> name, and everybody, when you mention Richard, they'd think about the rocket, and and. Uh, Dickie Moore, when I played with him, I didn't, I knew I what a great player he was when I played against him. But when I played with him, I realized why he was such a great player. He was a uh, total effort, just everything. He and Ted Lindsay played a lot alike, and they were both great players. I also understand that you used visualization as part of your routine to get ready for a game that you'd sit in the dressing room beforehand and sort of consider oh, what it means. certainly. I thought everybody did that. You could close your eyes and you could see exactly what he was going to do and the guy come in and uh, this was the top players you were looking at. You didn't, you didn't look at it. I, I had a problem. The, the slugs, I, I figured they were going to come off the post or something, and they just tried to hit the net. Eh? And so uh, until I smartened up there and realized that uh, I don't have to worry about the post with these guys, they're not going to come off the post. They're just going to jam at the net, and that's the extent of it. So that was a routine for you before every game that you would? I think so. I think that I would... Uh, uh, I don't know if it was so much before the game as it was uh, uh, after the meal when you'd lie down, and uh, and that's when I would uh, would pick up on on moves that would be coming. What was today the most dangerous situations on the ice? Are the amount of traffic in front of a goaltender, perhaps the velocity of the shots now with the players who are so well-trained in the technology they have. What was uh, what were some of the most dangerous situations when you were playing? I think the, the uh, <clears throat> defenseman dragging their stick, 
they drag the stick so that it come off and so you'd eat it instead of because <laughs> they didn't have it in front of them so that they would deflect on them. Dangerous they in a few ways. Hang, for you. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was hanging out uh, over on the side, and I think that he really what I tried to work with defensemen uh, was don't don't drag the stick like that. Uh, I'll lift up all automatically from if you're dragging it. And, uh, so I didn't like that. But the defensemen, they were, I was lucky. I played with so many good defensemen. I, I played with some that I couldn't follow very good. But uh, uh, Did you communicate a lot on the ice when with them? Uh you did a little bit vocal, but I think the vocal was when it was was uh, in between whistles or something. Uh, uh, how you'd communicate by just by a stick and just a nod and everything, and uh, we understood each other. Like uh, you've got uh, him, I'll take him, and to uh, him. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking some time. It's such a Incredible privilege to sit in the living room of the man they call Mr. Goalie and sharing a beverage with him. Well, I thank you. And uh, before we just before we sign off on the formalities of the interview, um, I don't know if you remember back in the day, uh, goaltenders would sit on the bench if they were a backup, and you don't even know what being a backup is really from your career. But the backups would wear a towel around their their neck to stay warm. Yeah. And in an interview with Mike McKenna, the guy. You did that other podcast with he, uh, Darren Millard from our group said, Hey, Mike, we need to bring back the backup towel. Just a little bit of fun reminiscing. And well, Mike, sure enough, in an NHL game did the, the very same thing. Yeah. And we've had a few uh, of Eli's students do it uh, in the Western Hockey League, Joel Hofer being one of them. And it sort of became a bit of a, mo uh, a movement amongst the goalie union. So um, we produced some backup towels uh, for, for our publication in Goal Magazine. And I've often said that they're not just backup towels, they're starter towels. Because I've seen the starters come on to receive the first star award after a game with yeah. a towel around the neck. So if, if I may, I'd just like to present you here with uh, one of the first in Goal backup towels that we're now going to call a starter towel. Because oh. it's for the man who played 502 games in a row. Well, I thank you very, very much. <laughs> That is a conversation that every goaltender from the top of the mountain in the National Hockey League right now, through the years, going back to Glenn Hall's own playing days, would love to listen to. And then you factor in all of us, all of us, regular Joes, Joe Q public, uh, uh, are just fascinated by in Glenn Hall in conversation with David Hutchison. I don't know whether he's had a more casual setting uh, for an interview. Then a podcast in his in his own house, just hanging out, having a pop, and and talking about talking about the game. I just feel pretty excited that I got to be the guy doing the cool interview. It's usually Woody. Uh, he was at the exact same time on the golf course with a couple of NHL goaltenders, uh, and he said, "Isn't it kind of funny that I was showing them the photos of you, you and Hall together, and they were jealous of you? Pretty cool." And then I walked in with the Net Three Hundred and Sixty guys this morning, and sort of same reaction from the coaches. Uh, it was hockey royalty. I got to spend the afternoon with a uh, couple of things that, that jumped out at me. Uh, one, if you stop them all in a certain location, people 
shooters will stop aiming for that position. I, I thought that was an interesting take on on how you play the game, like short side or or far side. That was that was hilarious as well. I mean, you, you immediately think of every bad RVH goal that's given up today, and you know maybe there's something tactical about it, so the guys will start shooting, keep shooting there. Hilarious. Uh, the other one was was butterfly. Uh, I, I he, he's he took it and and made it uh, a thing in the National Hockey League. Uh, others, Tony Esposito, uh, Patrick Waugh, get a lot of credit for for making the butterfly mainstream. So it's interesting how that that tactic, that style of play, really didn't take off immediately. It took a long time for the butterfly to become uh, a must-have in your arsenal as a goaltender. Yeah, and I, and I wonder where that is. Uh, you know, you could imagine that if you had this lineup of old school goaltending coaches insisting you do it my way, that people might not pick up the new tactic. But as he told us, there really wasn't any coaching then. You were just observing, trying, seeing what other guys did, uh, maybe discussing with some other goaltenders. So I'm in many. I'm really surprised it didn't catch on. I mean, the skate save, uh, with all due respect to all the guys that can do it well, uh, is is not a great technique, and it's extremely difficult. Um, the butterfly just made sense, as he told us, and I, yeah, I'm I'm shocked that it that it didn't uh, come on more. Although, you know, if we were to sort of segue into the gear piece for today a little bit, as I did allude to in the interview, um, going down in the butterfly and staying down in the butterfly meant keeping your head below the crossbar uh, a lot more often, and did put you into harm's way. And that was sort of the thesis of Ken Dryden in a, in a fabulous article I, I read by him saying that the mask changed the game forever and, uh, and allowed goaltenders to play close to the ice. Although, interestingly, Hall also mentioned how he really liked a super low crouch as well. So, so technique probably re- related to safety just as much, and not just the helmet, but the upper body gear was, was horrific back then. And uh, we, we got to, as I said, take a look at the shoulder pads he used, and they were little more than quilting. Um, so, so not surprising, but, uh, yeah, a a much superior technique and, and fantastic to meet the guy that, uh, that brought it to all of us. And, and how it came about was uh, a groin injury and he couldn't make that movement. And then he follows up with, well, common sense is also part of it. Yeah. uh, That, that the butterfly, uh, was so effective. And he said a, a few different times during the day, how, um, as you said, injury just sort of meant that you did something a little bit differently because you certainly weren't leaving the net and, uh, risking somebody else taking your place in it. The uh, other part of it is that coaching and just, uh, the way players were treated certainly seemed to take a change, uh, after expansion, uh, once they got out from under that, that, uh, thumb of, uh, the original six, it looked like, uh, things loosened up. Couldn't speak highly, uh, more highly of, of the St. Louis blues, the Solomons and the, uh, and the coaching of Scotty Bowman. Yeah, it, it uh, obviously uh, was it was a change for the better for everybody when when more organizations came into the league. And as you said, he he uh, seems really attached to the St. Louis organization. Uh, sounds like maybe he held a grudge against the uh, the Blackhawks for how he had been treated. Uh, but but also really great to see that uh, he's getting close to the organization again and feels good about that relationship with the Blackhawks. Uh, the other thing that he didn't do. Um, on the, the podcast proper, I would say, Darren, was uh, he spoke a number of times about how much he loves Gary Bettman and what he's done for the veterans in the league. I uh, just mentioned that uh, 
he's been the best thing that's happened to them, that he's brought opportunity. Um, I presumably a little bit more financial compensation as well to the, to the old vets of the game. Um, as we were leaving, he showed us his dining room table and there were boxes and boxes of hockey cards that had been sent to him. Um, he mentioned the Players Association uh, for his signature with instructions of how he should sign each one. Um, I assume that there's some compensation coming for that as well because it was hundreds and hundreds of cards he was having to, to sign at age 89. Um, and, and the other thing I would say about that, interestingly, he showed us a little... Uh, plaque that had four different St. Louis goaltenders uh, over the ages on it and and he was one of them and it had been signed by each of the goaltenders and he said now how many of those signatures can you actually read and of course the answer was one he takes real pride uh, in that he signs his name in a way that everybody can read it uh, on each and every one of those hundreds of cards he's signing. Uh, the NHL alumni has done a great job uh, the last number of years under the direction of Glenn Healy a goaltender that uh, will make his way onto the In Goal Radio podcast uh, one of these days. But uh, yeah, they've, they've done a wonderful job uh, with Heels in, in creating different avenues to generate uh, money and uh, generate uh, income for former players uh, who, who certainly uh, can use it uh, post-retirement. Uh, let's, uh, let's slide over to uh, yeah, the uh, gear segment. And uh, we want to mention that it is the 30th anniversary celebration continues in the sale uh, at uh, Source for Sports Surrey. Uh, the hockey shop, uh, thehockeyshop.com. And uh, part of that is uh, the fact that, I don't know whether you're a business guy or not, but I track uh, currency with different trips that I go on and uh, the American dollar doesn't work great uh, for us. But if you're buying gear from the United States and uh, and going through the hockey shop, thehockeyshop.com, uh, your dollar goes so much further. Uh, it's a great place to uh, to go shopping if you're in the lower mainland or you can do it online like I do at thehockeyshop.com. Just uh, picked up uh, my new uh, knee pads, uh, the Warrior brand, and I've used them a couple of times and uh, a big step up from what I was using and uh, a lot more comfortable. So I'm really happy with that and the service and the uh, the attention to detail was spectacular. So check them out uh, in the lower mainland, the hockey shop, Sorcerer Sports Surrey, skate sharpening, uh, their expertise with everybody that plays a position that uh, that can help you out. And it's not just somebody walking by to say, uh, yeah, we've got uh, this uh, manufacturer and that manufacturer and, and check out those lines. These people can give you uh, their feedback on uh, on what uh, what works for them and uh, and in a language. And this is key in a language that goaltenders understand, goaltender to goaltender. It's the hockey shop, thehockeyshop.com, uh, source for sports, Surrey. Uh, check them out, uh, our main sponsor on uh, Goal Radio, the podcast. And that all leads to our gear segment with Kevin Woodley with a special guest appearance from down in the basement. Woody. Welcome back to the Hockey Shop Source for Sports out here in beautiful Surrey, British Columbia, suburb of Vancouver. You can find them, of course, at thehockeyshop.com. We're down in what I call goalie heaven, the basement. It is technically the basement, but it's more high scale than that. It's pretty much an entire floor dedicated to goaltending, uh, led by our man here who joins us again, Cam Matwiv, uh, and his team of as we've said before, all guys who play the position know the position, have a passion for the position, and can help you play it better by giving you the equipment that best suits you. We're going to talk about masks. Speaking of best fits and best suiting you, we're going to go through the CCM line today. Last week, we went through the Bauer line. Today, the CCM line, 
Um, Cam, let's do what we did last week. Let's start with the base model, uh, the one for younger kids, guys just starting out. That's sort of you know essential level of protection before you get up to older, bigger, stronger shooters. Let's uh, walk us through the, the the base model of the CCM line. So we're looking at the CCM uh, L1.5 mask in particular. Uh, full power carbonate shell. Uh, again, plastic molded mask. Um, entry-level foam, uh, VN foam liner. Um, fairly basic when it comes to that. Um, three options for fit. You've got your senior, junior, and then your youth size mask. Um, rounding out kind of your options. Uh, again, like you had mentioned, this is ideal for the you know senior goal. Who's just like starting out ball hockey. Uh, a little bit of roller hockey and into like very, very entry level ice um, for like junior and youth size kids. You know, this would take you all the way up into that about peewee age where it's time to start to transition out. Okay. And so there's a fit too, as much as it is it, an ideal mask for the youth levels and like you said, into kind of peewee range. Um, there is also a fit size that will fit heads as big, well, maybe not as big as mine, but adult size heads. <laughs> That's correct. Okay. <laughs> Uh, moving up to the next level, uh, what's the second price point uh, in the CCM line? So now we move up to the 1.9 mask. Um, so this covers that mid-level, kind of does battle with uh, Bauer's option, which was the enemy 8 at the time, and now it's moved over to the IX in particular. Um, kind of equivalent levels to that point. Um, what's uh, you see exciting about the CCM uh, 1.9 mask, full fiberglass shell, um, their IQ cushion foam liner. Um, again, it's just a, a vibration dampening foam basically is what they're using. Um, three different fits, nice adjustable mask, um, good sight lines is one of the, the big, um, kind of feedback that we get from CCM masks. You tend to be a little bit closer against the cage, which helps to improve your peripheral vision. Yeah, no, I was going to say, and as we move now into the pro mask, the higher end mask, which is the one we've tested for a couple of years, um, no question when CCM started getting into masks, the two things that I loved, uh, you already mentioned one of them fit options at a time other companies have followed suit but at a time when there weren't a ton of fit options i love that they had sort of three different sizes at the pro level but above all the comments that came back from our testers from nhl goalies that switched and we saw a lot of that when this mask launched uh, and from our own experiences in the mask sight lines are unparalleled uh, especially down the ability to look down and sort of like you said you are deep in that mask uh, if you get the, especially again, you have fit options and the fit when it fits you right, you are sort of deeper. That's, that's the word. You're sort of right up against it. Everything feels closer. Um, you're not, you, you find you're able to sort of find pucks. You're not looking around or through bars. You kind of, they're everything centered. And like I said, sight lines down, just the ability to sort of see down in your feet, low pucks, things like that, uh, was definitely one of the pauses that we heard back from the testers. Uh, and we experienced ourselves and, like I said, heard back from NHL guys as well. So walk us through the pro version of the CCM mask. Yeah, so just refer to as the CCM Pro. Um, simple. Yeah, it'll nice to keep things simple for once. Um, this guy, biggest highlights, uh, weight um, is a real big factor for this guy. Extremely lightweight mask. Um, you've got their uh, D3O foam improvement for the actual uh, forehead and wrapping around the crown of the helmet in particular. Um, we've obviously seen the D3O in other facets of the gear, whether it be their gloves or even in their chest protectors. Yeah. And that's, I mean, it's, again, we've talked about it with the Bauer line, uh, for them, it's the XRD and Poron and, and some different brands and different names that they've put on theirs for CCM. It's D3O. We've, we've walked you through the science before. If you pay attention to Ingolmag and Ingolmag.com, you've seen it, uh, whether it's chest protectors, um, or pads, uh, 
blocker fingers, index fingers. You've seen the D3O used for impact absorption. Uh, the mask we tested originally uh, for the CCM Pro line and had a lot of success with in terms of impact and not feeling pucks and not leaving with ringers actually predated the D3O. So really happy to see them add the D3O liner in the mask, especially around the forehead, because it is a product. We've seen the science behind it. We've seen the testing. It There's no question it absorbs impact. So it makes perfect sense to me to have it wrapping around your head to absorb some of those shots. As we talked about in the past, we've all got that guy in warmups that likes to go top cheese, bar down behind your ears, buzz the tower, doesn't listen to reason. Uh, nothing like third shot being right between your eyes. Uh, and this will help with that. So we won't name names today, <clears throat> Trevor, but um, yeah, we all have that guy and this mask will help. For, for sure. Um, and one of the other biggest upgrades too, from that uh, 1.9 mask, um, Full carbon tech pro light shell is what uh, they refer to it as. Basically, what that means for you uh, lightweight carbon weave composite. Um, very, very strong, very, very rigid, but also helps to reduce that weight that we were talking about earlier. Um, this gives you, you know, a good basis in terms of for um, that protection level and whatnot. But like I mentioned before, it's the weight story that really kind of highlights the mask. Okay. Now we t- we've talked, we're going to talk about fit in a minute. And then, as I said, that was one of the things I like. This mask as well comes in three different fits. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about lifespans, especially for adult hockey players. I think as kids grow up, um, we, you know, we, you replace the mask as the child gets bigger and it doesn't fit. And obviously fits key. We've identified that. We'll talk about it again. That's the most important part is having a, for a safety perspective and a sightline perspective is having the proper fit. Um, but what about like, what's the lifespan of let's say a high end pro mask like this? I guess it depends what level and what kind of shots you're getting on. But, um, cause we, we have a tendency, even as beer leaguers, I see they will go out and buy the latest pads. They will spend money on the latest and greatest, even skates. Um, but sometimes I've seen some masks out there that have to be like seven, eight, maybe even 10 years old. And in skates where I know these guys can shoot and I'm thinking to myself, what are you doing there? This is, you, you covered a lot of information there all in one. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you even brought it up too, but even I can name about a hundred guys I've walked by and been like, what are you doing? There's put it this way if you're a mask if you can't read the letterings on the back of it and it's so chipped and and torn and the cage is dented rusted and against your nose probably time to replace it um to be honest uh, helmets weren't actually printed with expiry dates it's something more newer that you have like hex certification which is the usa certification does expire csa uh, for a long time has always been as long as the foam is untouched um, and the helmet is structurally sound technically the mask is still certified Um, but even that comes with a bit of a lifetime now so at a basis take your mask off have a look at it you know are the replaceable things easily replaceable like do you just need new straps do you just need new cage okay easy enough fix but if you're starting to show cracks structural cracks you can flex the chin um you know, you got chips off your forehead where you can see exposed fiberglass fibers coming out and whatnot. It's it's time to replace your mask. One of, one of the other things, too, that I've talked to guys over the years, and again, we've had conversations. We've been at this for a while at Ingle, dating back to some of the old school guys who did it all by hand. Guys like Eddie Schultz, whose opinion I really valued uh, back in those days in terms of what safety was really about. Um, ringing. I mean, sometimes we're going to get a shot and it's going to be at a certain angle and our ears are going to ring. Um but I had someone tell me that if, if, if it happens on a regular basis and on shots you wouldn't expect it from, 
it might be a sign that there's a crack that you can't see, but internally there's a crack and there's a little extra motion in there. And then, and, and the reality too is, you know, depending on who you talk to, they'll tell you that 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 an ear's ringing is is a minor TBI, minor traumatic brain injury, like a minor, not not like a concussion, but similar. Um, when does that become a concern? Uh, as a mask gets older, like if it's ringing on a regular basis, is that a sign? Maybe it's time to replace it as well. That could mean a multitude of things too. A lot could be based on the fit of that mask. So a lot of older masks, the more you hit it in the cage, the more the mask actually stretch, which means the wider the fit which means the original fit isn't the exact same as what's happening right now. So they can lose shape over time. They can. Foam compresses, makes the mask looser. You know, your straps your straps stretch out, meaning that the mask gets looser again. You know, those are those quick little minor replacements. But, you know, you, even like you mentioned too, you know, you're still getting that constant ringing. You feel like your mask is fitting tight, but again, it's a little bit older. Yeah, you might have a stress fracture on the inside of the mask. Don't even know it. And it's like, There'll always be a glancing blow inside any mass that you can possibly be in. There's and just no way around it. It's going to happen. But yeah. if it's happening every single shot, even when they're low floaters that you usually let in from the blue line, like. Why are you looking at me when you say that? Is that because just I'm the only one in the room or you've seen that in particular? Don't uh, answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, then it's, it's time to replace. Okay. And it's interesting. It was actually an NHL um, equipment manager that, that, you know, I was talking to him it was a couple of years ago about a mask that had started to ring on me a little bit. And that was what he said is there's a good chance there's a fracture in there or a crack in there that you just can't see underneath that liner. And that's contributing. Cause it, and again, that you're always going to have those every once in a while, but this was the case where there's a mask that never rang and all of a sudden it was regularly. So I replaced it, upgraded it, updated it, uh, and the ringing stopped. So probably a good sign. What about replacing foams? Um, as we see with the new foam kits, um, you know, uh, we've seen more of these advanced foams. We see more uh, impact absorbing foams like the CCM D30 line. We talked about the Bauer liner. I think the VTX, you can actually take it all apart like it's mechanical with the foam fitting. Uh, we'll check on that later. But replacing foams on, like if you've got an old mask and the foam's just really hard, um, can you buy foam kits and have it replaced? We, I know New Image. Uh, is a company that we've worked with in the past. They've done some mask refurb for us. They do a really nice job there. Is that something you'd ever recommend doing? Do you sell kits or is that something you'd, hey, it might be better to just go brand new, guys? Here's where you're walking a bit of a fine line. Again, um, technically, as soon as you touch the foam in any mask, CSA is not approving the foam that you're about to put in. Right. So, so definitely a no-go for your kids, but for beer leaguers. There's a potential there. There are multiple small companies um, uh, that new ones you brought up. Uh, I know there's another local one for us called Resilient Foams in particular. Um, I know they're, you know, guys have started to come up with small piecemeal foam kits that are now actual full on like peel and stick and provide you with everything you need to get yourself set up. So, you know, if we rewind back to what I was mentioning before, say that helmet, you know, your shell is still structurally sound, but your foam's toast. This might be a good opportunity to get you, you know, back into square one again with the mask. As long as, again, the mask is still structurally sound, you know, why not replace the foam? Um, usually quite a bit less expensive than getting a brand new helmet. And for the most part, there's a lot of, uh, you know, guys out there producing proper foam kits. Now we don't sell these foam kits. Probably for the same reason of CSA and heck, and you can't send them out the door from an insurance standpoint. And I, that makes a lot of sense. That That's a hundred percent correct. But honestly, you know, a quick search into Google, you're going to find, you know, four or five different options for sure. Well, we would definitely recommend new image. They've done some nice work, but at the end of the day too, 
you're replacing with traditional foams. And as we've talked about with the CCM line and with the Bauer line last week, what we really like in the higher end masks, if you're facing you know, guys who can play, guys who can shoot, um, you know, my skates have guys that played pro in them and some of them can really let it go still. Uh, I know scientifically the value of these new modern impact absorbing foams and the science that goes behind it and how much impact they can absorb. And I'm not getting that in a replacement kit. So I'm going to want to look for something new that's going to help me with that. The kind of things we see in the new CCM and the new Bauer lines. So, uh, Cam, last one. We've talked about it several times. Um, but fit, how you fit a mask, the importance of fit. Is it the most important part of making sure when you get a new mask, how do you make sure? Well, I know it's the most important part. We've talked about that before, but how do you make sure it fits? What are you looking for? I'd almost approach a mask fitting the same way as I approach skate fit. Every, every foot's different. Every head's different. Um, everybody's specific needs are different. The mask, like once again, regardless of all the technology in the world, it, it really has to be a nice snug fit. Um, I got a basis, what I'm looking for, uh, crown contact all the way around the forehead it should be snug. I shouldn't be able to slip any pinkies because that would mean pressure points inside the mask, anything like that. So no fingers in between the sweatband and the actual forehead itself. So right across the front of the forehead, above the eyebrows, you want that to sort of wrap and fit snug across. That's correct. You and don't want gaps in there. No, no. Cause then again, that gap can mean a potential pressure point in particular. Um, and then moving on down. So you, hold on. Sorry, just to clarify. So that gap means there's a pressure point somewhere else. You want a consistent pressure right across the floor. Yeah, exactly. So, that, so when you do get that impact, it's completely dissipated throughout the skull, for example, as opposed to having, you know, say I could slip my pinky in the middle of your forehead. Now, I mean, there's two pressure points on the side of your forehead. That's where the impact will be centered into those two pressure points rather than being fully dissipated around. Nice. Moving on down, uh, snug all the way up through the cheeks. It shouldn't be bunching and pushing up, but it should be enough that you can actually see just a little bit of pressure on the side of your cheeks. That means the mass is fitting you snug and it won't twist when you get hit. For example, a lot of goalies you see you wear the mask too loose and you can see them face move inside the mask and then the helmet moves. That's wrong. <laughs> not, not ideal from a vision standpoint. <laughs> no, well, that too. You're not only you're trying to look through the side of the mask, but yeah, it is an impact standpoint. Not too good either. One of the other things we see quite often too is um, how should how should a backplate fit, Cam? I, like, if it's sticking out too far, does that mean the mask is too small? Is that a component you guys consider when measuring? That, that's correct. Yeah. A volume of the head in particular. That's where that kind of comes into play. Um, the back, if the back plate's shooting out past the back of the helmet and you can actually like slip your pinkies and, you know, full fingers in behind your head and the actual back plate, your mask isn't fitting properly. Um, if it's nice and snug and, you know, you're just up to that edge, but you can still make sure that there's no exposed hair or anything like that, you still have an okay fitting mask. Ideally, probably something a little bit better volume, but that's a workable fit. Anything past that, once again, like you, you can get sticks back there, you know, crossbar, heaven forbid, like you're just opening yourself up to it's a the recipe for disaster. The potential. Yeah, yeah the exactly. potential for problems. Okay. Okay. Perfect. So there's mask fitting from Cam Matwiv. You can get more information. Uh, if you come in here in person, the hockey shop source for sports, uh, they're in Surrey, just in the suburbs of Vancouver. You can find them online at thehockeyshop.com. Or if you've got some direct questions you want to ask Cam about the way your mask is fitting personally, you can give them a shout here. Like I mentioned, whether it's Cam answering the phone or any of the other guys, they all know the position. They all play the position. They all know how to answer your questions. You can get a hold of them at 604-589-8299. Until next week, we're signing off from the hockey shop and thehockeyshop.com. Thanks, Kevin.
Woody, thank you. And uh, by the way, I hope you're hanging 10 out there uh, as you uh, enjoy your vacation with that little guest appearance from the hockey shop in Cam over at uh, Source for Sports Her- Surrey. Uh, one th- one thing, Hutch. Do you, do you mean like one of one of Kevin's average games where he hangs ten, or the other team hangs ten on him? <laughs> yes, good good point. That's uh, a little bit of payback if you want. Although I was going to say a couple of his spills uh, on on the board into Fino may look a lot like uh, some scrambles that uh, I've seen or video and pictures uh, that, that that you sent me from different gear demos that you like to uh, to make fun of uh, Woody. So there's a, there's a, there's a tie in there. Now, I have a bunch of masks. It's 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 sort of my vice uh with with the goaltending oh, nice. uh world and and I I've, I've kept all of my masks from over the years and one thing I will say is I'm always amazed at how different the various masks that I have fit. And okay. yep. uh, I have I have one custom fit, uh, one that was molded from from Tony over at uh, Sports Ma- Sport Mask, but uh, but the other ones, uh, I mean, I thought I had size pretty good, but they all fit a little bit different. So it's it just goes to to show you how you really need to spend significant time picking the right mask for your head, or else it doesn't quite work. No. No, and I would, I, I would, I mean, hundred percent. It's all about fit. I think whenever you talk to some uh, professionals in the industry about how should we evaluate masks, uh, it keeps coming back to fit, fit, and fit. Uh, there's some incredible new materials uh, out now. There's some incredible new things coming just around the corner. Uh, and at the end of the day, fit still rules is the most important thing. As much as we really do want to investigate some of these. Uh, new important concepts coming into masks because obviously your head is the most important thing to uh, to protect and and so we we're often having people ask us uh, about reviewing a particular mask or which one should they use. Uh, we've had some smaller companies ask us to evaluate their masks and uh, and really we're it's hard it's a hard thing for us to do. We we haven't yet wrapped our head around uh, what's the best mask review because it has to fit. I mean we can. We can put a pair of pads onto five or 10 different goaltenders at all different levels and get an opinion from them, but we can't be sharing a helmet around uh, 10 guys to see, uh, A, if it fits, B, gosh, you, re- you really need to be putting yourself in a difficult situation to know if it is helping, because um, obviously we don't want to send guys out there to, to take headshots. Um, and, and then there's other things like the, the shots that we're all taking in the crease now as the game gets faster and guys are crashing the crease more often. So super difficult to evaluate. It really comes down to fit. I would say to the parents out there as you're fitting a mask, um, please don't choose the mask because it's the one that your your son or daughter likes the shape of, the one that your son or daughter uh, loves because a particular pro is using. Um, fit has to determine. Um, the other thing I would say is I believe it's worth investing a little bit more money in a mask. There's nothing more important than your head. Um, it's amazing to see kids out there wearing full custom gear and then maybe trying to save three, four, five hundred bucks on a helmet by by choosing something, you know, a lower model. Um, I'd say that my own son, uh, probably about three years ago, was suffering something that young goalies do quite often, and that's flinching away from pucks and. Uh, we invested in a professional helmet and it seemed like overkill, uh, for a guy his age, but I can tell you that, uh, that was the day he stopped flinching and never has since. And age 12, he'll step in front of a major junior shot and not even worry at the least bit. And I, he got hit 
the last couple of weeks enough times from major junior shooters that that his cage was dented and we had to replace it um, but no damage uh, internally so to speak uh, because he's wearing um, a top-of-the-line professional helmet so invest in one that fits and invest in one uh, that's as good as you can afford just to pick up on that uh, earlier mention about brand loyalty, we all have it. Of course we uh, do, yeah. I have my favorite uh, equipment line. Uh, I'll try others, but I have my favorite uh, a line that, that I'll go to. Uh, you have yours. Woody certainly uh, is loyal to a, a certain brand. But when it comes to helmets, uh, uh, you, should, you should try them all. And this is the one area where brand loyalty is outweighed by by the proper fit and and you may love ccm but but bauer is is a better fit or sport mask is a better fit or go down the list of uh of different uh mask manufacturers if that particular manufacturer and that helmet fits better than the line that you use uh then then convince your child or yourself uh to to go in that direction uh of a better fit and a and more more comfortable and and safer. The other part of it uh, is under the 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 straight bars, like not not the illegal cat eye. Right? Can you tell me because I, I always see pictures which which line of of bars are people supposed to be looking through? <laughs> it seems to vary vary from uh, from goaltender to goaltender and mask to mask. So can you answer me that? Uh, I can, and it's, it, oh boy, I might get myself in trouble here. Um, Kevin and a few others have reached out to me, and they think that uh, my son's looking through the wrong um, bars, and uh, I, I personally struggle to believe that it matters from a vision perspective as long as you can execute the correct movements with your head so that you are looking at the puck properly. I personally don't really care which bars you're looking through, although many would argue it should be that top set of bars uh, just below the uh, sort of eye line of, of the helmet. Um, and and as much as I'm telling you it's about fit, it's about fit, it's about fit, I think the reason my son looks through the lower set of cages is because that helmet, um, at least in the chin area, isn't, isn't quite the right fit for him. So there you go, um, maybe admitting something there. Um, but I, I, I don't think it really compromises your vision where you're looking through. Um, but go ahead, everybody hit me up in the comments and tell me I'm crazy. Well, you know what? It, it just proves like nobody's more educated than you are. Nobody has, has had access to different lines of masks or helmets and you still struggle with, with the proper fit and the proper, proper setup. Now you're, you're, you're close. You you think you've got what, what you like, yep. but it's still, yep. it's that difficult. So imagine just, just uh somebody is new to the position or uh parents trying to to fit their their child without the education that you have and trying to go through that setup and and how about i mean you talk about loyalty how about a company trying to convince somebody to come and try their brand instead of another one i mean uh for for me to get my kid to change his brand oh that'd be really hard now he's been drilled so many times and come out the other side without any trouble um, you just imagine, okay, I know that one is super protective. I know there's tons of research behind it. Um, but can I make the switch? I don't know. That's a, that's a difficult one. And we're, we're influenced by the mirror. Uh, we're influenced by our heroes uh, as well. And the, the biggest example of that is, uh, I mean, Tim Thomas couldn't have done any more as a national hockey league goaltender 
and nobody copied that setup that 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 he wore. Uh, <laughs> it's it the mirror. The mirror is the almighty influencer. His his made a ton of sense though. You know, his made a ton yes, of sense. Yes, you're right. Though. But like he'd he'd put a lot of thought into so it. So why didn't anybody else pick up on that? because uh, uh, of the mirror, no doubt. Um, yeah, no doubt. So so the only other thing I would I would just add to this before we finish up. Um, reinforces why you want to go to a place like the hockey shop and talk to somebody like Cam, right. because I think they've got the strength to tell you if it doesn't fit and they've got the strength to tell you it's not the right one. Uh, if you go to the, the, the shopper on the corner where it's somebody with less experience working, they might be driven by a desire to increase sales. And if you're happy, they'll sort of make you happy by having you take whatever helmet it is that you're looking for rather than the right one. And then the second piece I would say is despite you know, me saying it might be tough to switch. The one thing we do know from our experience working with these companies is that there is a ton of research going into helmets today. Uh, we've seen it firsthand at CCM and and we've spoken to our friends at Bauer and there's a ton of research going on with these companies. So um, feel safer and safer every day. And I'm glad they're putting that work into it. And I think you can feel safe working with them. What uh, what a beautiful uh, way to end things. Just uh, some advice on on the mass, and uh, this has been uh, this has been fun. Uh, sort of a, a, a tour of the house, so to speak. We were in the the basement at uh, the hockey shop and thehockeyshop dot com, and then we were up in Glen Hall's kitchen uh, and visiting with him and and enjoying a beverage. And now I'll retire over to the uh, to the rec room and uh, and relax and uh, reflect on what we went through today. Uh, that uh, that is a thrill of a lifetime. Hutch, uh, that you got to uh, enjoy with Glenn Hall today. Sure was. Um, Glenn Hall, one of the best to ever play the game. What a, what a privilege to have him join us. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, In Goal Radio, the podcast with Mr. Goalie, Glenn Hall, for David Hutchison and Kevin Woodley. I'm Darren Millard. Hope you enjoyed it. This has been a presentation of In Goal Radio, the podcast supported by The Hockey Shop, Source for Sports Surrey, thehockeyshop.com. <laughs> <laughs>